Psalm 141, verse 2. Psalm 141, verse 2. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. This word watch uh, really means to hedge about with thorns. Kind of like a, uh, I'm thinking of an army you know, when they put the uh, barbed wire out. Set a guard and protect and attend to the words of my mouth. So I want to talk about the power of the tongue this morning, the power of our words. And I've preached on these things through the years somewhat, but I wanted to look at it afresh because our words are very powerful. Our words are very powerful, and our words have the power to heal. Our words have the power to tear down. Our words have the power to motivate people and move groups of people. Our words have power to uh, shift destinies of nations. I think about, you know, in a negative way, the power that Adolf Hitler had when he would come with all of his propaganda machine and, and speak these, you know, these enraged speeches, and it, it, it destroyed or was in the process of destroying a whole continent, really. So uh, the power of words, the power of words. Words are powerful. So I'm going to give you three things this morning. We're just going to dig right into it. Number one, words are powerful. Words are powerful. Amen? If you look in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, Bible says, Either make the tree good and its fruit, or make the tree bad and its fruit, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, notice how Jesus didn't mince words. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's about as tight a scripture as there is in the Bible. That by your words you will be justified, or by your words you'll be condemned, and that we'll give account for every careless word on the day of judgment. I don't even know really what to do with that, except read it and just feel the sting of it. That words are that powerful. And what Jesus is saying is that the words we speak come out of the fruit and soil of our belief system and our hearts. That it's not, the deal is, when you get words and beliefs aligned or words in your heart aligned, powerful things can happen, okay? There was a statement years ago during World War II, it, this, this came out of an ad campaign in World War II, and the uh, ad had a sinking ship on there, and the term was loose lips sink ships. The original ad was loose lips might sink ships. And it was an ad used in World War II to try to tell the nation to watch what you say because we have enemies listening. And I don't know if you remember the story or not, but in World War II, there were, uh, we were having problems fighting the Japanese because they were finding out and, un and, and interpreting all of our intelligence. 
And then at one point, uh, somebody had a brilliant idea of getting the Navajo Indian code talkers to use their language because it was an unwritten language, and they used them to communicate these messages, and the enemy couldn't understand it. But it was important. Words are important, and loose lips can sink ships. Look at your neighbor and say, amen or oh me. <laughs> loose lips can sink ships. Words have the power to damage or the power to build up. Let's read a few Proverbs here. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We have the ability to speak words of life or speak words of death. Proverbs 13.3 Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He opens wide his lips. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Can somebody say amen? amen. Bear with me for a moment. I got to see this in the message. Careful words make for a careful life. Careless talk may ruin everything. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. You want to keep yourself out of trouble? Talk less. Do y'all have your seatbelt on right now? Come on, if you want to keep out of trouble, talk less. I think it was Kenneth Hagin, I think years ago, was asked why he didn't talk much in private. And he said, less to repent of. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So God used his word, and I don't think it's just talking, you know, some may look at this theologically and say the word was through the sun, which I understand that, but he used words to create. He used words to form. I think the King James says framed. Because this term in Greek really means to put in order, to arrange. God used His Word to create, frame, or put the world in order. And I'm not saying we are God. We're far from it. But we are created in the image of God. And God has given us the, the, the capacity to have imagination. He's given us the capacity to have vision or visionize. He's given us the, compa- the, the, the capacity to think up and create. And He's given us the capacity to use words to frame things. And I'm not saying we speak and physical things are created. But I do believe a person created in His image, anointed by His Spirit, speaking His Word, has God's touch on it. And it becomes supernatural when we speak. If we can preach a message and people get saved, or we can preach a message and people are healed, or we can do a counseling session and God gives us words of knowledge that repairs a marriage, God can set His supernatural touch on our lives, and though we aren't speaking worlds into existence, we are creating our own world. 
going to preach to Sam and Lori. Hallelujah. We are framing our own context and our own world by the words we're speaking. They're powerful. So when you get up in the morning and you got your kids and you're telling them how they're no good and how you hate your life and how you hate your husband or your wife and how you're broke and poor and busted and the toilet's leaking, the roof is leaking, and, and you just start, you start seeding into your family words of death and you start framing or constructing or arranging a whole house of just bad stuff. Now, I'm not talking about living in fantasy. I'm talking reality here. But when you get up in the morning and you start declaring the good things of God over your kids and you start declaring the good things of God over your family, over your life, over your household, over your own self, and you start framing your world and you start framing the context that they can grow up in and you plant the good seeds of faith in their heart. I told this story a little bit ago, and I'm remembering it now, but I was on a plane several years ago flying from Washington, D.C. to, uh, I think, Phoenix, Arizona, I think. And I was on the plane, and I was seated in between two people, a lady on my left, man on my right, and I just happened to be reading the works of John and Charles Wesley. And I was reading their works, and, and, and they knew it was religious, so these folks started talking to me. And the guy, the, the lady on my left started you know, I could tell she was really interested in what I was doing. And then the guy on the right chimed in. And the guy on the right said, uh, I, I am an, an engineer and from Georgetown University, and I create medical devices. And he said, I was raised by my parents who were congregational ministers. And I thought, he was a, he's a PK, he's a preacher's kid. And he said this, and I never forgot it. He said, I never heard my mom or dad say a word, how'd he put it? I've ne never heard them say an offensive word. That's a testimony. He was raised in a family that he could look back at his mom and dad and say they spoke well and they raised us well and he had obviously become very successful in life. Now you can overcome anything. You can overcome a bad environment, negative environment, bad words. You can overcome all that through Jesus. But I'm telling you, you get a great start in life if you have parents that raised you and put something in you and told you the Word of God, told you you can make it, put, put the, 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 framed your context, framed your context that, that, that built a structure around you so you could make it in life and be successful. I want to be the floor. I'm sorry. I want, to, I want my, my ceiling to be my daughter's floor and their ceiling to be my grandkids' floor. That they don't have to go back and relearn a whole bunch of stuff like I had to or learn it like I had to, but we put it in them from the ground up that they can run and run hard and run long. Can somebody shout amen? amen. Second thing I want you to know is the enemy can use our words too. Okay, the enemy works with our words. We have a real enemy. Did you know that? God exists and there's also Satan, his opposer. He exists. And if you don't believe that, go back and study the Bible and um, just realize it's a, 
you know, read the Gospels, and you'll see the power of Satan in there, and he's opposition to Jesus. And I'm telling you, you know, like C.S. Lewis said years ago in that, the screw tape letters, you know, one of the greatest tactics of the enemy was to get people to believe he doesn't exist. So if you believe he doesn't exist, you re he really has you blinded and uh, deceived. But there is a real enemy, and he love, he works on words too. God works through words. The enemy works through words. And he loves to come in and attach himself to our words. When we get our words and our belief system in line, powerful things happen. And they can happen in a negative way powerfully. Listen to this. Leviticus 29, 20, 20 verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Now that's Old Testament law. We're not practicing that today. But I thought about it in reading that. Why, is it, why was it such a crime to curse your mom and dad? It's happening every day in public now in our context. But why back then was it such a crime? And I think that there's, there's a dignity that God wanted built into the society of Israel that people honored their parents. But I think the Lord also knew the power of words and the power of words. And if you have those words cursing parents, it's going to destroy the family. And if you read through the Old Testament law, God built a hedge around the family. And he built a hedge around it to protect the family because he knew the family was the basic unit of humankind. There's a reproductive system going on there. There's a multiplication thing. There's a training and education context going on in the family. There's a passing on of the faith in the family. And if Satan could destroy anything in society, he would destroy the family. The family is the incubator where we raise the next generation, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know, teach your kids, talk about this law when they're at home, when you're at table, when they go out, repeat it, re recount it, walk them through the festivals, tell your children, this is why we celebrate Passover, this is what the Lord did for us years ago. Recount these things because God wanted every generation to know His story. He's the God not just, just of Abraham. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. God works in general. So if Satan would destroy anything, he would destroy the family. I'm just going to, can I just be real here at 10 o'clock? This is what's happening in society now. Satan has been working for centuries but he's really having an effect now at breaking down the family unit. And so now it's gotten to the extreme of let's break down even the gender identities so I can totally wreck the family. And now let's, let's bring confusion to people don't, who don't, don't even know if they're a he or she. As my friend Jim Rayley said, you can use they or them or we now. And the only time a person spoke like that in, in the Bible, where they spoke and it said we, was the Gadarene demoniac. Y'all didn't just catch that. That just went right out the door to the parking lot. But only time a person is speaking in plurality in Scripture, it's because it, they're demon-possessed. 
It's Come on. And so if you mess up the identity, then we have to get to, gosh, I'm really getting out there on a limb, but I don't care right now. But, but if you mess up the identity and you have man living with man or woman living with woman, then we have to create some way to procreate. And it gets into some really weird and strange medical procedures just to try to procreate. Why? Because Satan is destroying the family. He wants to destroy the family unit. Come on, family, stay together. Come on, don't, don't let... And you know what happens? One of, the, one of the greatest sources of violence in our nation is domestic violence. I spoke to a law enforcement officer recently, and I said, what's the crime that you have in your area? He said, number one, drugs. That's 90% drugs. Number two, domestic violence. Because what happens is that Satan loves to get in that home, and it begins with hurt feelings and words. And words start being thrown around, and sometimes words last, and the sting of words lasts for years and years and years. And some of you are still trying to get over words that were spoken over you when you were young. And so words come, and then, but do you remember what you said last year? And Satan can get on them and divide the family through words. Lord have mercy. He can use it. And let me, let me just give you some ways Satan gets, on our, gets, gets in our language. Number one, in corrupt talk. Okay, let me explain that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Paul said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So what quenches the Holy Spirit? What shuts off the valve of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Bitterness. Wrath, anger, clamor, slander. And notice how much words are involved in these. It shuts the flow of the Holy Spirit off in your life. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It's getting quiet in this Pentecostal church this morning. Romans 1. Paul is talking about the reprobates. Those that have been darkened in their conscience. Those who've had their conscience seared as with a hot iron. Those who've descended down in the the strata of sin. He says this, they're full of envy. They're full of murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. Slanderers. Haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. They're gossipers. The old terms for gossip was whisperers or backbiters. Because it's, done, because it's something done behind someone's back. So if you're talking about someone behind their back, we better watch. Are you saying something that you wouldn't say in their presence? That's a good rule. I know this is getting tight. Y'all, I told you, fasten your seatbelt. Lord have mercy. Notice the power of words. The power of unbelief. When you have unbelief in your heart, and Satan gets a hold of that, and you start speaking those words, it starts, it starts damaging people around you. 
In the book of Numbers, chapter 13, God was instruct, God instructed Moses to send out, to, you know, go into the promised land, send spies into the promised land. So Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land, one from each tribe of Israel. They went into the promised land, and here's the word they brought back. Numbers 13, verse 26. They brought back word to them to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So they brought back evidence of the fruit, right? And it said, and they told them, or they told him, we came to the land to which you had sent us, and it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. All is well, right? We've got fruit. If you ever go to Israel, you see the Ministry of Tourism in Israel are two men carrying these huge, like, pomegranates behind them. It's the promised land. We've got the fruit, we've got the milk, we've got the honey. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell on the land in the Negev. The Heatites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites by the sea along and along the Jordan. It's a good land, but what they're saying is, but we're not able to take it. And what they were saying by that was, God, we don't believe your word. Because God had told them to take it. God was leading them to the promised land. And now they're saying we're not able to do it. And they go on and say, we were grasshoppers in their sight. There were giants in the land. But there were two guys, Joshua and Caleb, verse 30 who Caleb quieted the people. So the people are all in an uproar. Caleb quiets them down and says, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Amen. There are problems out there? So what? We just, we're serving a God. We just saw him part the Red Sea, bring water from a rock, manna from heaven, quail appear. Come on, y'all. If he can do that, surely these guys are no problem before us. They, they, and the deal was, it wasn't about military strength. It wasn't about anything like that. It was about some believed and some didn't believe. Some believed and some didn't believe. And when they got back, they started spewing out that unbelief. And what happened was judgment came on that generation. And God said, I will not allow this generation to enter into the promised land. They're everyone going to die, and their carcasses will be in the wilderness. So it all happened. They had to march around for 40 years. Why? Because of unbelief and the unbelief that came spewing out of their hearts and mouths. It caused them to be over in the land of, of, of non, not possessing the promise. I don't, I don't want to live in the, in the land of not possessing the things that God wants me to walk into. I don't want to sit there and go around the same issue for 40 years because I don't believe God is strong enough or I don't believe His Word is powerful enough to walk, make me walk through the door He has me to walk through. Is there anybody in this church this morning? Come on. Two guys believe the report of the Lord, Joshua and Caleb. So this entire generation has to die out. And the only two that are walk into the promised land are guess who? Joshua and Caleb. They're the only two that will inherit the promised land. And Caleb was so bad to the bone that he walks in in his 80s 
And he said, hey, I spied out a hill country, a little, I, I could just imagine a cabin up on the hill, and I spied it out years ago, and now I'm going to go take it. And whoever's there, I'm going to run them out myself. That's a man of faith. That's a man of faith. Because he said, I'm just as strong as I was in my 40s. Come on, somebody in your 80s should just shout hallelujah right now. That's what faith does. That's what faith does. I'm, I'm going to get raw. Y'all can like me or not. Whatever. No faith says, there ain't no way I'm going to do that in my 80s. Because we're all getting old and I'll probably break down I'll arthritis and this, that. and the, I don't even want to speak these things as an example. But we've been so programmed to that. We've been programmed to, for failure so long. That we speak that stuff out of our lives all the time. How many of y'all remember Jack LaLanne? He wore those really super cool workout outfits. And, and my mom told me she used to work out with Jack LaLanne when she was young. He was one of the first exercise guys on, on TV, I guess. And when I was living in Washington, D.C., I read an article on him. I think he was in his 90s. And he was doing stuff like, you know, swimming across, what, did he swim to Alcatraz or he swam to some channel? And, you know, he's, he's doing crazy stuff in his 90s. So the Washington Post sent out a reporter to, to meet him. So he said, I sat in a chair like this. And I just acted as sick as I could. And then that reporter came in, and they were kind of shocked. And then, he, then all of a sudden he perks up. He grabs the handle of the chair and starts lifting his body up and down on the chair. And I think he was in his 90s. How did I get off on this? I don't know, but it's really good right now. Because Caleb, spirit of faith in him. He had a spirit of faith in him. I can do this, I'm go and he's the one who got to enter in. Come on, doubt can get on you and stop you from your destiny. And how does it work? You start thinking it in your mind, and then you start speaking it out of your mouth. You start thinking it in your mind, and you start speaking it out of your mouth. And when your heart and mouth align, there's power on those words. When your heart and mouth align, there's power on those words. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a biologist, but I had some dear friends recently tell us that there's a main vein or artery on your tongue that leads down directly to your heart. Turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 5. But just as Satan can work with your words, God, to even a greater degree, supernatural degree, can work with your words. Mark 5, 24. A great crowd followed Jesus and thronged him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. And she had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. How many of y'all have heard of this story? This is the woman with the issue of blood. And she comes up behind Jesus and touches his garment. And if you know the rest of the story, she's made completely whole. 
She had spent all of her money on doctors. She had spent years and years trying to get well, and she was completely whole. But notice what verse 28 says. For she said. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. I'm telling you, there is something powerful in the words she said. I know it had to align with the belief in her heart, and it had to align with corresponding action where she pressed through and touched him, but the heart lined up with the words which lined up with the action, and a miracle occurred. I want my heart to line up with my words that lines up with my action and walk in the supernatural power of God. So here's the way we act sometimes. We speak as though we don't believe the Bible. I was at a minister's uh, luncheon years ago, and we started talking about miracles. Because I've seen miracles. I've seen the blind see numerous times. I've seen... The deaf hear countless times. I've seen people get up out of wheelchairs and walk. I've seen cancers healed. We've seen demons cast out. I've seen legs grow out. Hips be made straight. We've laid hands on people who went to the doctor for surgery for a cancerous tumor and came back and said it was gone when they got to the emergency room. We've seen some amazing things. This is why we, we have a healing rooms here that's been working for over 10 years, praying for the sick every single week. Well, we believe in it that much. We're going to give an altar call here at the end, and if you need healing, we're just, come on, we're going to pray for you. Why? Because the Bible says, if, anyone, if there be any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and own them with all the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And if he's committed any sins, it shall be forgiven them. Jesus said, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Hallelujah, I am the Lord that healeth thee, Exodus 15. He sent his word and healed them, Psalm 107, 20. Isaiah 53, by his stripes we were healed. Matthew chapter 8, by his stripes you were healed. Peter, by his stripes they were healed. Hallelujah. I was at this minister's luncheon. We started talking about this, and a Pentecostal minister was with us. He said, I just don't believe that anymore. I don't see that anymore. We don't just see it in church anymore. And I don't think I ever went back to those luncheons. Because I, I remember the story of um, Jesus coming off the Mount of Transfiguration. And the disciples are trying to cast a spirit out of a boy. And when Jesus comes down in the book of Mark and he sees the whole situation there, his disciples are over in a corner arguing with the scribes. Now the scribes didn't believe in resurrection. And I'm thinking they didn't believe in miracles. And the first thing Jesus does when he comes down is he didn't immediately cast out the Spirit. He went over to his disciples and said, Why are you discussing with them? Why are you busy arguing over this stuff? Let's just believe. There's a boy here in trouble. There's a father who's distressed. And he walked up and cast the Spirit out of that boy and returned him to his father. The American church has gotten caught up in all these arguments 
And theological arguments, does God move today? Does he really save people? Is there a heaven? Do we really have a resurrected Christ? Is the Bible the word of God? Uh, did Jesus really die on the cross for us? Do miracles really exist? Does the power of the Holy Spirit still move like he did in the book of Acts? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, that's good. Now let's get on with life. Let's get on and start believing and then start declaring what we believe. Let's start believing and start declaring what we believe. And then let's start acting as if what we said and what we believe matter. And we line up our heart with our mouth with our corresponding actions. And we'll see God do some amazing things. Can somebody shout amen? amen. Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Jesus said, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. He didn't say when you pray, pray, give it a hope so prayer. And then wait and see if anything happens. And if it does happen, then you can believe it. No, that's called empirical science. You have a hypothesis, and then we go do experiments, and if we see it, then we record it. It's not God's way of operating. God's way of operating is you believe it first. Then out of the belief of your heart, you start speaking it, declaring it, and praying it. Then you will receive it. If you look at the King James of this, speaking is mentioned three different times and believing is only mentioned once or twice. So it's like I believe it in my heart, and I know this might be stretching the hermeneutic, but I believe it in my heart, but it's really important that I speak it out. Because as I speak it out, it starts growing in my heart. And as I start declaring it, I start sinking into it more and more. Is anybody getting anything out of this this morning? So start declaring it. Start believing it. Start speaking it. Start saying what you believe. Okay, you say, well, Pastor Hans, I don't know how to do that. Well, most of you probably own a Bible. If you don't, you can get one or we'll help you get one. Get one of these books. Get one of these. And start searching it and finding scriptures and things that God did for people and start declaring them over your life. Well, we can't do that anymore. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, hey, I've been through as much education as more than most people. You, and I give you permission to do it. You can do it. You can do it. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to bring you to an expected end. Jeremiah 29, 11. Oh, you can't use that now. There's all these big arguments. Yeah, but you know what? I do understand the context of it. The context of it was the people were in exile, and they weren't coming home immediately. So God said, while you're over in exile, I'm going to speak a word to you. That is, I'm bringing you out one day. And I will bring, I know I have good plans intended for you, and I know where you are, and you're going to build, and you're going to plant, and you're going to have kids, and I'm going to bless you, and I will fulfill my word and bring you back. What's wrong with that? I declare it over my life. God, know God has good intended for me. Hallelujah. He has an expected end for my life, and he's leading me and guiding me. And even though I might be in a certain circumstance that might be difficult to walk through, I know I've already got the victory, and God's got my open door in front of me and he's going to do good things in my life 
This changed my thinking, folks, when I started reading the Bible through the hermeneutical lens of the goodness of God. Because we read it through, sometimes we read it through, I'm going to read the Bible, but I'm putting grandma's religion on, and I'm going to read it like she believed. Or I'm going to read it, I'm going to read the Bible, but I'm going to put it, I'm going to put on, you know, uh, the faith, I'm going to put on the certain church tradition I was raised in. How about going back to the Word and read it as if you've never read it before? And say, God, I'm going to look for your goodness on every page. I'm going to look for how you really operate and your goodness on every page. I've been doing that this year. And I'm telling you what is absolutely eye-opening to see the goodness of God. Hallelujah. To see how He's working to preserve a covenant. How He's working to redeem a people. How He's working to redeem the world. How Jesus came as the ultimate expression of God and the fulfillment of all the prophets and the law. And when He came in that measure, He came going about. Acts says, TX 1038, doing good, healing all those oppressed of the devil. For He came to destroy the works of the enemy. Hallelujah. And He came to give His life a ransom for many. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest or that you might have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I didn't come to put a bunch of religious rules on you, a bunch of can't do's. I came to tell you what you can do. I didn't come to sit here with the status quo. I came to break the status quo. I came to speak life over you, to heal your body, cast the devils out of you, set you free from anxiety and depression. I come to say your soul. I come to rescue you from death, bring you into his marvelous light. I come to bring you heaven after all this is over. I came to give you good things. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. You say, but yeah, but Hans, you're just living in denial of all the bad things that happen. No, I'm not at all. I know the grand theological plan of God. Come on, my, my family, we walked through the greatest loss ever in 2020. And, and I came through that and I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? Because I don't have the answers for this. And I could have become at that moment the greatest skeptic you've ever met. And said, well, this is, none of this is real, I'm done with it, bye. But I, went, but I knew I couldn't do that, I had the Word in me. The Word was in me. So I just went back to the Word and went back to my faith. And I said, Lord, I don't understand the circumstance, but I'm not going to let the circumstance dictate my theology. I'm not going to let the circumstance trump the Word of God. I'm going to believe the Word of God when I don't understand the circumstances. I'm going to believe the Word of God when circumstances get difficult. Hallelujah. Because sometimes we come up with the goofiest doctrines because of something negative that happened. I've heard some of the strangest things ever. I don't, I don't, let's, let's get that out. Let's start declaring and speaking what God has placed in our hearts. And let's align our hearts with our words, with our corresponding action. Come on, do it with me. Just touch your heart. My heart, my mouth, and my actions. I'm going to let them all line up. See, it doesn't make sense when you come to Sunday. You know, the church is called the great, the Christianity is called the great confession of faith confession of faith. So when we come and we sing the songs of worship, amen the preaching, say the prayer, and then we go out and live like the devil. Our confession didn't line up with our actions. And people know it's wrong. 
Joe Sixpack knows it's wrong. Everybody knows something's not right. They call that person a hypocrite. You know what a hypocrite was? It comes from ancient Jewish drama. They would put a mask over their face and play a certain role. Then they would go back and pick up another mask and play another role. It's a person who could play multiple roles. So you can speak things and make great statements of faith, but go out and live a life contrary to that. It's not what we're talking about here. Let your heart align with your words and align with your actions. And I'm telling you, when those things come together and you're, you're, you're a believer and the Holy Ghost is in you, you're declaring the Word, God sets His touch on it. God sets His touch on it. I'll tell you a story and I'm going to conclude here. Uh, so, so Jackie, who's my late wife, I don't even like that term, but uh, she, she had a brother who was a coal miner. And he was very gifted at what he did. And we, we grew up in a coal mining region of Virginia. And so he was back in the coal mines one day working, and he ran a continuous miner. So a continuous miner is what reaches the face, has a, uh, a, a, a ripper head, they call it, with, uh, with um, steel bits on it, the metal bits that you know, bore into the tunnels. So it's also one of the most dangerous things to do in the mine because you're going back under roof that hasn't been secured. So the mine operator is supposed to stand back and let that machine go in under unsecured roof and do its work. Most people are killed going under unsecured roof. Anyhow, my family were coal miners, so there you go. So one day he had his cousin with him working with him as a helper, and he's back under there, and he's mining, and he said, I hear, I hear the top crack. And he said, I looked at my cousin and yelled at him to run. And the cousin ran out of the mines, and the rocks started falling. I'm talking tons and tons and tons of rocks started falling and hit his shoe heels on the way out. Well, my brother-in-law uh, had a metal canopy over top of him, supported by jacks. And so he was under the canopy. Well, anyhow, the, uh, Jackie and her mom got a call that their brother David had been in a terrible mine accident. Because the cousin came out, you know, and the owner thought he was dead. They called in the mine rescue teams. And uh, Jackie said, when I heard that news, I said, no way, Lord. And she said, I started praying, and I started declaring he's going to come out of that like Moses part of the Red Sea. Amen. Faith rose up in her. She started declaring that. They started declaring that. And if you knew her, she said, my mom was going hysterical. She said, I went up and slapped my mom. <laughs> Told her, calm down. God's in control. And David said, my dad had just been talking to me the week before about always stay under the canopy. And so he said, tons and tons and tons of rock fell on that machine, and he heard that canopy start inching down and the weight of it there, and he was trapped. And he said, I prayed. And I said, Lord, if I'm to go, I'm ready. But they were praying back at home and speaking out of their heart words of faith. And he said, I looked up, and there was light coming through a hole about the size of a dinner bucket. And he crawled out and walked all the way out of the mouth of that mines with just scratches on him. The owner saw him coming and ran to the woods because he thought it was a ghost. <laughs> saw him coming and ran to the woods. Why am I saying that? Heart lining up with words 
lining up with corresponding action. Heart lining up with words, lining up with action. What you believe when you get in crisis starts coming out of your mouth. You have faith, start speaking it out of your mouth. Even when it seems like all hope is gone, you start speaking it out of your mouth. You start declaring it. I'm telling you because you don't want it, you don't want any regrets. You want to give it everything you have. You want to believe with everything you have. You don't want to pay pray manby pamby prayers or weak watered down. You want to give it everything you have. You want to believe with everything in your heart. You want to say everything that God gives you to say. You want to do what he's called you to do. Get these three things aligned. Let your tongue become the force and the tool that God uses. That God uses to change the atmosphere and change situations. Come on, can we shout amen? Put put your hands together. Let's just give the Lord a praise in here this morning. Let's all stand. Praise God. Father, we thank you for all of the scriptural teaching on the power of the tongue and power of our words. How we can do great damage or we can do great things with our, with our words. And Lord, I pray right now that you bless everyone. I know the scripture has already touched us and convicted us and encouraged us, Lord. But God, I pray for everyone in here this morning that's listening to me. I just pray that you bless their lives, Lord. Let them see where they are and what they need in their hearts right now, what they need in their life right now. And, Father, I just pray that if if they need to repent, they repent. If they need to declare things, they start declaring things. If they need to go witness, they go witness. Whatever you're, you're tugging on their heart to do, I pray, Lord, they have clarity on it in the name of Jesus. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, how many could raise your hand and say, Pastor Hans, I'm not, ser- I'm not currently serving the Lord. I don't, I've never committed my life to Jesus. But I want to commit my heart to the Lord today. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Him. If that's you, we want to pray for you. I'm going to ask the altar workers to come down and join me at the altar right now. If that's you, nobody's looking around, how about just wave at me right quick. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. And we're going to pray for you. Thank you, guys. Thank y'all. Thank you, guys. You say, is there really any power in that? Absolutely. Because we're going to pray. And we're going to pray out of our heart of faith. And we're going to make a confession of faith. Paul says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, with the heart you believe with unto righteousness, but then with your mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you got to believe it in your heart. you got to speak it out of your mouth. And when that happens, God does something supernatural in our lives. So let's pray together right now. Everybody pray. And those of you who raise your hands, pray with me right now. Father, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I repent of all sin. I leave it behind me. And God, I walk into your new life. I walk under your yoke, which is easy and which is light. Forgive me, Lord, for words that I've spoken that have hurt people, that have damaged others, that have not been true at times, or maybe that I've exaggerated or twisted. Forgive me of that, Lord. I leave it behind me now in Jesus' name. Help me to speak words of truth. Let me speak words of power. Let me speak words of life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. If you believe that prayer, can you give a great amen in here today? Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing 
and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us. 